Hey there, True Multifamily listeners, Justin here. Want to make sure you know about our website, truemultifamily.show, where you can stay all up to date, not only on this podcast, but all of our investment opportunities and other projects we have going on. Sign up for our newsletter at truemultifamily.show. See you there. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here today with Chris Roberts of Sterling Rhino Capital. Chris, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Justin, for uh, trusting me with your Listeners, I appreciate it. Can't wait to share some juicy details on these properties. <laughs> I, I just in the quick intro that you and I did before we started recording, I'm so excited to hear all about your latest deal. Uh, but before that, please let our audience know a little bit more about you, who you are and what you're doing right now. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Chris Roberts. I'm the CEO and founder of Sterling Rhino Capital. Started out as an entrepreneur at a pretty young age, uh, developed a sales and marketing company, partnered in a software business, started buying a little bit of land that led to single family flips, holds, turned into duplexes, and then eventually into multifamily. And today that's where we are. We're syndicating larger multifamily deals. Excellent. What size, about what size are your deals? We try to focus on the hundred plus just to offset the cost and risk and all of that. Um, but you know, we're looking between the 75 and 150 range. I know it's a okay. broad spectrum, but primarily 100, 120. Okay. Makes sense. And what markets are you in? Uh, we're in the Southeast. Uh, we, we actually are in Virginia, Georgia, Washington State, and in uh, Texas as well. Washington State. That's the, that's yeah. an outlier there. That's all. Yeah, that's all the single <laughs> I'm thinking about the map places. as we go. And then, okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Okay, great. So tell me a little more about the multifamily. Like, what does your team look like? What? How do you guys find deals? And just talk about some some of that stuff. Sure. Well, primarily it's it's me and and two other people. The other two partners are full time multifamily syndicators. Okay. I'm an entrepreneur and have other businesses, so they focus 100% full time on the assets, and I do the 30,000 foot view. Um, also run the banking, the debt. And uh, and kind of just approving all the all the larger decision making processes and kind of analyzing the deal, if you will, overall and pushing it through. Um, they're the ones who um, run the asset management, also do most of the underwriting, and also assist in uh, investor relations. So our our team is actually five people, but there's three of us primarily that do the heavy lifting. Got it. Got it. Understood. Very cool. So Chris, I mean, you you were telling me before about your latest deal. Let's let's take it top to bottom. What what is, let's talk about where it is and, and how big is it? Let's start with that. Yeah, this particular unit is a, a great topic of conversation because it was just a, a manual deal. It's over in Georgia, just outside of Savannah, um, 112 units. It was um, originally a $5.2 million ask. Uh, after about 11 months of negotiation, we got it down to 3.875, which wow. was a pretty significant discount. As you know, today, it's pretty hard to find uh, anything that's standing at any rate at around 37000 a door, which is which is a good a good value add opportunity, yeah. uh, but with that with that comes significant challenges as well. So uh, the the short story about where it is and and the size of the deal that that is uh, that is it. And uh, it was built in the eighties eighty three I believe. Original owner operator that built it and managed it from day one and was in her eighties uh, was uh, using her son to assist in the sales transaction of which had no desire or care really to work this deal at all, which is why things drug out. And it was very, very challenging 
um, just really, he just wanted to retire and be done with this whole thing and um, was just helping mom out. So uh, we, we encountered a lot of challenges. Okay. So everybody wants that sort of off market deal where the records aren't great. And there's like this good opportunity where we can negotiate him from 5 million to 3 million. Like that sounds amazing, right? That's what it's sort of, everyone is kind of looking for right now, but let's talk about that process a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, your whole getting under contract due diligence process, you know, give us some insight into what it's like to work with a seller like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right. It does sound great until you dive in and start getting smacked around. Right. There's a lot, exactly. <laughs> there's a lot of challenges uh, related to dealing with a direct seller, especially somebody who really is penny pinching and actually isn't even the main decision maker because they're selling it for someone else, a family member. Right. Um, but, but let's talk about actually getting the deal. Uh, it came to me through a, through another group, the deal kind of fell apart. We put the pieces back together. The deal was in and out of contract several times. Um, eventually I ended up actually dealing directly with this seller's son. And that's how we really started. Let's say rubber started meeting the road, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we started gaining a little traction um, had to travel out there six times during COVID to get this deal done, including inspecting, I think me personally, 95 units in like 100 degree weather with the humidity in the South uh, <laughs> during COVID. Uh, it was very, very interesting. And some yeah. doors had COVID signs on them. Uh, so it's scary in and of itself, right? Can't go what in there. What is the COVID sign that, that uh, they so have? It says I have COVID diagnosed? and you oh can't come in, right? Now, of, of course, Justin, we don't know if they had COVID or they just didn't want us in there. But <laughs> either way, it was a challenge. Went through that process with him and uh, and really started uh, realizing very early on that he didn't know what a T12 was. He didn't really know what a PL was. He didn't, he didn't really have accurate rent rolls. And we had to actually build that entire process out and eventually secured agency debt on that opportunity, which is unbelievable, wow. um, even with all the manual records. But it took a lot of time. It was very tedious. And I'd be happy to elaborate a little more on all that stuff. Yeah, I'm so interested in this because, um, because of that dichotomy that we explained, like, people think that this is going to be awesome home run. Like they're not great records. Like when you hear that on podcast, you think, yeah, that's the kind of deal. And it probably will be, but there's the extra level of work involved where you can't just run a T12 out of Yardi or another property management software. You've got to build it. So tell us, how do you even start building the records yourself? What does that actually mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as the, the building out the records is concerned, it just goes back to the basic business principles. You know, how do you how do you do anything, right? How do you run a mile or how do you, how do you go become a champion at this? Or how do you build a coffee shop business? It's breaking all the systems and processes down. Okay. Let's reverse engineer it. How do we get this note? Right? Cause you're not going to get the debt if you can't tell the story right. and the story is backed by the data. So I simply said, if, if, do you know what a T12 is? And this is why it was so critical to actually get straight to the owner. Cause the brokers were throwing their hands up at, at that point. Like we're just not getting anywhere. And I said to him, do you know what this is? Uh, no, I don't. Let me send you an example of one. So he gets it. And I said, do you know what this data is? Yeah, yeah, this expenses, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Well, this is a, a compilation of months of this. Do you have some records? Yeah, I have them all here, manual records. I go there and I'm scanning hundreds of documents. So then I send him a rent roll example. Yeah, yeah, I know what that is. We just have to update it manually. Okay, great. And then a PL. do you know what that? Can you just have a bookkeeper come down here and then take these documents that we found in your office and just have them put a basic PL together based on your receipts? Because the one thing they were good at, which was extremely helpful, was keeping manual records. Even though it was sloppy and you know, mm-hmm. so-and-so was coming in to help, they did have manual records. It was just daunting. I mean, I'm not kidding. There were stacks like this, just stacks <laughs> of stuff. And I remember at one point I said to him, I need to get an accurate account of your tenants and their applications and their leases. 
And he said, well, I'm not going to do your job for you. If you want to do it, here it is. And he pointed over to this pile. I have pictures. You, you just be shocked. This is storybook stuff, man. I'm telling you. He points this pile and he goes, and I go, oh, whoa, hold on a second. I said, I'm not, you're not doing my job. I said, we're, we got to work together if we're going to yeah. get this thing to finish sign this. I'm, I'm here to help you. Like I, I want to get to the close just like you do. And then he kind of calmed down and then he starts helping me dig through stuff and sharing. And that was kind of where we started our, you know, first we kind of butted heads a little and then it mellowed out. We eventually got to the finish line, but yeah, largely a manual. And it was more about, uh, I guess, sort of taking him along the way versus butting heads and being stubborn. It was, how do I just solve the problem one piece of data at a time? And then I would work with Freddie's group and I would say, Freddie Mac and say, mm -hmm. what do you guys need? How do you need it? And they just wanted updates constantly. And as we manually updated and he had to certify, so he would certify these documents. I sent him templates, he filled them out, he certified them and that was good to go as we went through the process. Got it, got it. So the good news is they had very good manual, or at least a lot of manual <laughs> documents. So you could you could pay someone to sift through that. Um, and you figured out a way to work with him. Was there any sort of ego involved as far as, you know, him feeling like maybe you guys were calling him out as how he did his work or just how do you navigate that with a seller? Yeah, a few, a few times. And, and I think again, it, and, and perhaps my sales and marketing background came in handy here because I'm, I'm pretty good with people understanding people. And it's not for me, I just want to get to the finish line. I don't, I don't really care about egos or who gets credit or any of that. And I think that helped to diffuse it because there were a few times where he would say, well, you're calling out my integrity or something. And, and lo and behold, at the very end of the deal, he actually lied to me right to my face. And I asked him, I said, so you're basically pulling back what you said and, you, and you're lying. I said that right to him across five feet across from me. He goes, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm lying. So here at this whole time, I'm dealing with someone with this type of integrity. And yet I have to walk this fine line because at any time he can pull back and just blame the deal falling apart on us. And I don't know what's going on on the other side because mama bear is the one who rolls the purse strings. He's making the decisions and really just wants to be done with this thing. So yeah, there's a fine line there. And I think you just have to take your ego out of it and just problem solve, take your time, mm -hmm. take a deep breath and just think through every part of it and try to really understand the other side so that you can solve their problems and then you'll win them over in your way of thinking and you guys can both go to the finish line, right? That was the only way we got this done. Um, Cause I know there were things like the COVID thing. I found out later, I doubt there were COVID, some of these units with COVID signs on them. I think mm -hmm. he just didn't want us to get into the units and there was no way we could. Right. Okay. So, wow. So, you know, that's so many lessons all rolled into, <laughs> into one story there, but, but so helpful. Um, and I completely agree. It's just connecting, finding that common ground and honestly realizing that, yeah, you, people are going to lie to you and, and you just have to figure out how to, how to deal with it. And, and your, your mission, like you said, was to get that loan. So he lies to you, he offends you, whatever, like it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, as long as, um, we're all agreeing the records are the records and the bank is evaluating it and we can move forward. So, so you did your due diligence and now you're moving towards closing. Tell me about what happened right as you were about to close. Yeah, there's, there was just a, a bunch of things that happened. For one thing, Freddie started pulling back on, and I won't ever know if it was like the broker side of things, the lender broker side of things or Freddie Mac themselves, but they pulled back at the very end. Just, I think they were feeling uncomfortable with some of the financials. Who knows? It was solid, but so they took a year of IO. And they took, they made us put a little more money down and it got a little, it didn't get squirrely, but it, it, it cost us a little more. Now, mm -hmm. thankfully, thankfully I'd negotiated so aggressively on this thing that we had so much room in this deal with 550 a month, average rents, 3.875 you know, purchase price. 
I even put a clause in there that at the very last uh, month before closing, um, if this owner had a certain amount of units beyond a number that were either vacant or were uh, bad debt, didn't pay rent yet, that we got a credit of $3,300 per unit for that. And I had that weird little clause in there, which is not normal to protect us. And sure enough, we got $25,000 in additional monies at the very end. Those things helped, right? But we also had like a little fire at the very end um, in a unit that wasn't a big deal. It was very well contained in the HVAC kids through firecrackers in there or something. Mm -hmm. But he had a contractor in there working on it and Freddie wanted to hold money for that. And the only way I was going to get him to not hold money for that out of my pocket was to prove the work was done. So I pushed the owner, pushed the owner. I mean, we're, we're days before closing, a couple days before closing. He sends me some photos and he sends me a, an invoice that says work is complete. Well, the work wasn't complete and Shocker. we couldn't get in quick enough, right, to verify it. Although it was kind of complete. I come to find out that he actually told that contractor stop working. The minute we I had come out there the week before, he told the contractor stop working. Oh my God. And just started playing more games right now. Right. At the end of the day, we got plenty of money. We had plenty of reserves. We did everything right to protect us. Unfortunately, he was a, he was a slick one and he, he got a little extra out of it. I got a little hard negotiation done with him at the end on some roofs. We got two more roofs done. So seriously, this was like a, a martial arts battle or whatever, MMA back and forth. We actually won. But we we were we were beat up a little bit. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we get to to after closing, anything you know, I already got your tip about you know the the rentals and that extra twenty five thousand dollars that you got. That's that's incredible. But sort of any tips or guidance for people, especially as they're trying to close the deal during COVID, things to put in the contract or or lessons learned from that that you might take forward. Yeah, it'll be a little harder as we come out of this COVID issue, but I think having COVID clauses in there is, is, is relevant. Or even if you just put in there, you know, bad debt clauses, because I don't see the bad debt going away soon. I see that being a challenge through the end of 2021, maybe even to 2022, who knows? So maybe putting a little clause in there, and I don't know if the sellers will take it these days, but Hey, if you don't have this property stabilized as we close, because a lot can happen in three months, we're going to need some credit on some of those units because the financials start to get a little messy. Right. And that could cause you more interest or or whatever. And that, that really helped us because that was equal to about, if you think about it this way, that 25,000 was equal at the time to about 42 rent payments, wow. right? And he wasn't missing that many units, but at $3,300 door at an average rent of 50, uh, $550, it was significant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had some, like I said, last minute negotiations with him on roofs and just really pushed him. Um, so I think you can, just have to protect yourself. Absolutely. Can you give me the example, like if I'm buying a property and I'm putting a contract together, what is it that I want that bad debt, bad debt clause to say in the contract? Yeah, you want it to say something to this effect. Let's pretend you're closing on uh, January 1st, okay? And the month before on the 15th, you want to make sure by the 15th of the month before that the, the bad debt and vacancy is within reason of where you were while you started working this deal. So three months prior, let's say, right? So let's say it's 5% bad debt, 5% vacancy. You wanna put something in there that says anything beyond 10% combined, right? And I just say combined is what we did. We didn't do one or the other, we said combined. Um, You will pay us X amount of dollars, okay? uh, For each one of those units. And that way they are pushing hard that last month to get those collections for you because Today, in today's lending market, Fannie and Freddie or, or whoever even bridged that, they could come at you and say, okay, what were the collections like two weeks ago? 
And you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were all buttoned up. And that could be a significant difference in extra reserves or mm-hmm. or a higher interest rate or less IO or whatever. So I, that's what the, the clause would read like that. It's actually pretty simple, but I would also follow it up with an example. Here is an example in your PSA of what that would look like. You know, 12 units at such rent, uh, you had 17 units instead combined. And here's what that would equal. We did that twice and he tried to fight it at the end. And it was so yeah. ironclad that he couldn't get out of it. And he just that's finally- so helpful. Yeah, conformed. Uh, that's great. That's great. So for any of you guys putting deals in a contract right now, that is absolute gold. I love it. Love it. Love it. So Chris, let's let's say, okay, we close on this this property now. You've got, you know, you got your credits, you're all buttoned up. Let's talk about the, the management. Tell us, tell us some stuff about you know what happened after you closed. Sure. So a few things. We we found, you know, more deferred maintenance than we thought. Obviously, you can underwrite as much as you can and, and only catch maybe 95% of it. Little things like just realizing they really had band-aided a lot of the repairs. And we kind of saw that when we did our inspections, but a few little sewer line issues, nothing major. Um, We found that that fire unit uh, had not been permitted appropriately, even though I called the city and they said, yeah, you're good. You don't need a permit. Once we got it and and started working with the power company, Mm -hmm. then the power company said, no, no, we need the city to sign off. Well, then the city said, well, in order for us to sign off on power, we have to come by and inspect. So I said, so do we need a permit? No, you don't need a permit, but we have to inspect. Well, guess what? When they inspected, <laughs> we see some things we don't like. Of so course. even though I did everything I could, you, you can't possibly know. So um, as we closed and we got into it, we just found little things like that that jammed us up. And the biggest challenge as it relates to all of that was contractors. We found in this COVID era with finding labor and good contractors that were reasonably priced, unheard of. I mean, their prices are 30% higher than they were before COVID. And the, the workforce is 50% less than it was before COVID, literally in the, in the construction world. So that has been a big challenge. And then maintenance people, you know, down there in the South, uh, a lot of them are making more money, or at least were off of their stimulus and such mm-hmm. than they would be if we hired them as a full-time maintenance. So we went through four maintenance people in the first four months of acquisition. Yeah. And now we have a really good one, but it was a challenge. Are you guys using third-party management or self-managing? We are using third-party management. They're phenomenal. Uh, again, I think their strengths are infrastructure systems, lease-ups, all that. Uh, that has really saved our bacon with some of the bad debt we've come across because we were able to push rents without any renovations at least $100 per unit on 60% Beautiful. of the units in four months. So our collections, volume-wise, are incredible. But where the, where the weakness is is the construction. Right. We have a lot of value add play. We had to put new roofs. We had to put new driveways, uh, in interiors and such and renovations. And it's finding contractors. We have gone through five different construction companies. We have two good ones now. But we can't renovate units fast enough to bring them in. And we're bringing them online at like $200, 250 more per door than we were renting them for. But we can't awesome. get them renovated, renovated fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, we're running into a similar problem on a project. Um, we've gone with some of the the larger renovation outfits that can come in and bring a whole crew and you know knock out. I mean, they can knock out like ten a week if you need it, but you're paying a little bit more. But what's the cost per unit versus getting those things rented out and getting the tenants in there? So uh, absolutely, we, we I agree though. I mean, it's it's it has been tough. Prices have been sky high. Of course, we know materials are up right now, so it's been a challenge for for everyone. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about this extra space that you found uh, as well that you're turning into into another unit. 
Sure. The so there was a like a kind of decrepit. Again, you couldn't even walk in the space upstairs. It was so they had this office building. It looked like two a duplex, but two townhouses. But uh, when you went up the stairs, it was just so packed with garbage and dust, and it, I couldn't even tell it was an apartment. I thought maybe there was something there, but it was big enough to know that we could convert it, whether it was or wasn't. Come to find out, it actually was, but it hadn't been used in twenty five years. Or oh whatever. wow! Okay. Yeah. So we basically gutted it. It cost us, again, this is where the cost came in. I mean, the reality is this unit probably cost us $17,000 to fully renovate, but we put it on the market immediately at $760 plus garbage and pets. So we're bringing in, I don't know, $800 a month roughly, okay? On a unit that just really didn't exist. So we went from 112 to 113 units and we renovated that within a few months of acquisition. So it's just plus business. And now the other income that we have with pet fees, garbage fees, we implemented all that is helping. So even in this challenge, and if I could, this is, I think this is really relevant. So in today's age, I'm passively invested in 2,300 doors across the country with all kinds of asset classes. And I have found even with all those asset classes, particularly A class, I'm, I'm seeing like 10% average uh, vacancies. Okay. Now that I didn't think I would see that. So even in these class C's where you're maybe seeing 15% vacancies in some cases or bad debt combined, if you can push those rents on existing units, because people would rather stay, I think there's something special there. And we have found great success there where we're just going in and saying, Hey, we're just raising rents, but we're not, we're not going to renovate. And they don't even, they don't even blink. In our case, the rents were so low they were willing to do that. But that alone has saved us tremendously. And we had a lot of cash reserves, man. We brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars in extra reserves. Uh, and so that negotiation along with the reserves and the, the raising the classic rents without renovations, I mean, we'll be able to weather the storm for two more years if, if, if it sticks around. I want everyone to hear that because the number one thing that I hear where people get in trouble and where I've gotten in trouble is not having enough enough cash reserves. You have to have to have to have more than you think, especially right now. Um, and it might you know hurt your projected returns a little bit, but it's way better than not having enough cash getting into a problem like maybe the seller didn't finish that fire unit that they told you they finished and any other number of of terrible things, honestly, that can happen. You have to have the cash. So great, great point. hundred percent agree with you. Okay. So, but before we wrap up, I want to talk about, you know, you mentioned already trash fees and pet fees. Tell me, is this a C-class asset and how do you get away with, with charging for these extra, extra fees here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The great, great question. And how you get away with it is you start, you look at the entire business plan and figure out where do we have room to move? And my thought was it, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard to just raise rents across the board. Although we were fortunate to have 30 day leases on all these, which gave us plenty of wiggle as far as, you know, up at re-upping these leases at, at higher rates. I wanted to mix it up a little bit. And there's a couple of things that went on here. One, there were, there were pet fees, but there was no enforcement of it. So there was literally two pet fees on the records that I had. And there was 27 pets in my due diligence, right? right. It's insane. Um, including some chickens, which I didn't expect Ooh. to see. Yeah, chickens. <laughs> hey, it's great. They're resourceful. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so we started enforcing that and that brought the income up immediately. The next thing we did is we noticed there was a lot of garbage around the property. And even though our garbage bill was say $2,800 a month because they had individual cans and a dumpster, a big dumpster. I thought, well, by by pushing people to clean up after themselves and implementing a garbage fee of just just $10, we could accomplish several things. One, it would force people to think about garbage because now they're paying for it, even though we were paying for it before. And uh, worst case scenario, we only get half the people to clean up after themselves, but now we lowered our garbage bill by 50% or let's say $1,400 a month. 
or that's just additional income. However you slice it, it's a significant amount of money on an annual basis, right? So it either pushes the value of the property up, lowers the expenses, or encourages tenants to clean up after themselves. So we just added that. And then we're looking at other things too, like storage boxes and things like that. But if you just add that to the apartment up above, there's significant additional income coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all goes to show, you know, you can't overlook the other income section on that, that income statement. The fees really add up application fees, pet fees, trash fees. Um, so important as you're, you're modeling out, you know, the, the property that you're going to buy. Um, Chris, this has been so helpful and so, so interesting to me. We're going to move towards the end of the show. And uh, when we do, you're going to, people need to stay tuned for your true multifamily tip. But before we get there, tell me uh, how our audience can get in touch with you. Find out more. Sure. Sure. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Um, we are Sterling Rhino Capital and you can find us on our website. We have a great YouTube channel where we just give away tons of free information. We love teaching people and helping. Um, you can text the word Rhino, R-H-I-N-O to 66866. That's an easy way to sign up to gain all of our information. We don't sell programs or anything. We just like helping people and, uh, and educating. And then um, you can also see us on all the other social media platforms, LinkedIn and such. Love it. Guys, please make sure you check Chris out, Sterling Rhino Capital. Uh, we will also have links to all of his social and websites on our website, truemultifamily.show. Uh, Chris, someone approaches you and says, Chris, I want to get into multifamily investing. What is your true multifamily tip for them? Number one tip would say to get out of your own way and, and really focus on the structure of things. It's, it's very easy to get caught up in the weeds. Covey says it best. He says, don't get caught up in the thick of things. And what that means is we get focused on all these little shiny nickels around us and we can't ever get anything done. So I would encourage you to one, stop and think about your value proposition. You know, what is your value to the world? Get out of your own way and start taking action. And then very quickly find at least one person that you can partner up with to help you because you are not going to be able to do it all. And the sooner you can find that partnership, even if you're just both bringing your own LLCs to the table to do a deal or something, I uh, will help you exponentially grow. And it, it takes a lot of people a long time to figure that out. So that's my tip. I could not agree more. What an excellent tip. Chris, this has been so incredible. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily.